It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier. Well, welcome everyone once again to another episode of the podcast. We thank you for tuning in today, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening to us. We want to thank you for making this podcast part of your day. We hope that this is a blessing to you and uh, we think this is a valuable um, resource and platform for communicating the truth and uh, also the ministry of our church, just getting good content into your listening ears. Want to take a brief moment here also to plug our upcoming conference. Our conference coming up is on April the 26th through the 28th. Uh, that is in Middleton, Idaho. Well, our church is in Middleton. It will be located in Meridian. And it is called the Stand Firm Conference. This is a joint conference in cooperation with Truth Family Bible Church and TruthScript.com. Truthscript.com is a online ministry. It is an editorial um, website that provides good conservative Christian content that is meant to be edifying to the saints. And so that's uh, a lot of cultural things out there, responding with a biblical worldview. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, John Harris from Conversations That Matter podcast, as well as um, he's on the board along with me on Truthscript. And then also Matt Slick from CARM Ministries, CARM.org, is an apologetics and Christian research ministry, and a lot of good resources out there on CARM. Uh, Matt is a local, he is an Idaho guy, and so he will be uh, joining us as well. And the subject is standing firm with the theme coming from Ephesians chapter 6, recognizing that we are in spiritual warfare, and we want to be equipped and encouraged along those lines that we might stand faithfully for our Lord. And so please make plans to join us. Uh, right now, the registration is found on truthscript.com. If you click on conferences, you'll find our conference there and you can just click register um, or it says tickets and it says here, just click the link and it takes you to the registration page. Uh, please do so um, as soon as you can. We want to begin to get a head count. Uh, we will be uh, serving lunch. Uh, the entire conference, including the lunch, is free. Uh, we will accept and receive gladly your donations to help defray the cost of this conference, uh, but there is no obligation to you, and we just want you to come and join us at this conference. Again, April 26th through the 28th. It's a Friday evening, uh, most of the day on Saturday, and then Sunday morning, our normal church service uh, is going to be at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, I will be preaching, but then our panel of of guest speakers and myself will be doing a Q&A at 6 p.m. on that Sunday evening, April 28th. Yeah, our sending church, Meridian First Baptist, is hosting us, and that is uh, 428 West Pine Avenue in Meridian. And again, more details on truthscript.com. We are looking to get this information added to our Truth Family Bible Church um, website, and uh, that's upcoming here very shortly. Our website is going through a redesign at the moment, and those details are being added uh, all the time. And so um, please uh, consider uh, 
joining us for that conference. We'd love to have you and also spread the word. Love to get as many people to join us as we can. Well, today we want to dive right into the topic for today. Uh, The title of this episode, He Gets Us, question mark. Will we get it? Will we get it? Uh, I wanted to respond to two things that happened. um, Really, by the time you're hearing this, it's a a week uh, old. It's a little bit slightly out of date. I wasn't able to get this up and recorded uh, earlier, um, but I wanted to respond to last Sunday's Super Bowl ad. Uh, There is a ad campaign that is called, you know, He Gets Us. It aired uh, once again for the second year in a row during the Super Bowl. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. And and the second uh, thing I want to just mention a little bit, if I can get to it, is the shooting at Lakewood Church in Houston. I, I want to make some some connections, uh, some points um, regarding those two events that happened uh, last week. And um, at, at the Lakewood Church in Houston, you'll recognize that that is Joel Osteen's church. I refer to him as the CEO. Uh, it's hard to describe him and give him the title of pastor or shepherd because I, I think he's more of a wolf. But uh, since it is a mega money-making enterprise, I'd prefer to refer to him as the CEO of Lakewood. Well, guys, we'll have to call it a church. And uh, it's early in that investigation, but there are a few points I, I want to highlight about that situation. So I'll touch on that at the end, hopefully, uh, when I, if I have some more uh, time at the end. The first topic I want to talk about, though, is what a ton of people are talking about and responding to. Uh, I love some of the alternatives that have been made regarding this particular advertisement and commercial. And that is, once again, the He Gets Us commercial during the Super Bowl. Now, at our church, we don't acknowledge the Super Bowl because it's the Lord's Day. So our focus is on worship, and I think it's difficult enough, really, to lay aside our normal distractions, let alone to invite a rival event into our minds and into our worship service. I feel the same way about Santa Claus. Uh, He's a competitor with Christ for our attention and our affections at Christmas. And while the, the Super Bowl is held on Sunday, and it is the biggest national event each year, over 100 million people watch it in the U.S. alone, uh, let alone the rest of the world. Uh, I don't begrudge watching the game per se, but it certainly doesn't alter what we do or how we do church. And so, for instance, we have an evening service. We do not cancel our service for the sake of a game on TV. And so for the five years of our church plant, we had church, and we didn't distract ourselves from our main focus. And so we didn't ever reference it. We didn't even joke about it. Uh, I didn't uh, wear uh, a team jersey uh, up in front of everyone and make that the primary focus. Uh, as I guess some pastors, or I guess I guess we have to call them pastors, did in their churches. Um, if you skip church, by the way, in order to watch the game, you need to uh, get a heart check because God may not be so much first in your life as you would perhaps confess if you're skipping church in order to um, watch a game. Um, but it is uh, it is a, a big cultural national national event. And there's a lot of uh, people, including Christians, that have a significant interest in it, and many of them saw the game and the advertisements. And apparently during that game, a a media marketing group that has been running an advertising campaign for several years, not just at the Super Bowl, but at different places and online, it is a 5013C organization um, that has some significant donors and apparently a ton of money. Uh, Supposedly, this organization is led by some professing Christians, And the goal is to start a conversation, they say, about Jesus and to get people to go to their website. That's the big idea of the campaign, is to get people to go to the website. And again, it's called He Gets Us, with the pronoun he, 
which is standing for Jesus. They advertise in various ways through television and social media ads, and they've been doing so for several years now. And this is the second year in a row when they have taken out a Super Bowl ad, and this year they had two ads, but there's really one main ad that we'll be focusing on. Um, It has been reported, though, that a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl cost upwards of $7 million. One of their ads was 60 seconds, and the second ad was 15 seconds. So this group has approximately $10.5 million for 75 seconds of advertising during that big game. And you can be guaranteed that they didn't empty their coffers. That's a, There's a lot more money where that came from. And so Deep Pockets are funding this campaign. Now, perhaps you have seen the ad, and even if you... Um, if you haven't, um, there, or, well, and if you have, really, there, there's a lot there in 60 seconds. It, there, it's, it's a loaded commercial. Uh, give them credit for that. They got a lot of, of content in a, a short, really, amount of time. Um, but since this is an audio-only podcast, we, we're, not, uh, we're not doing the simulcast or the video or anything like that or, or live uh, Facebook um Facebook Live or anything else like that. I, I want to take some time and I actually want to break down the whole commercial for you. As many of you have seen it, uh, welcome you to, to watch it. Uh, I went through it, though, frame by frame. And like a, a radio broadcaster of a sporting event, I, I want to describe for you what I what I am seeing and hopefully create a picture in your mind of what this ad is portraying. And I, I want to address them all. And I, I want also want to speak to what I think is going on overall in this particular campaign. So let's talk about the main commercial for He Gets Us, and that is the foot washing ad. And it looks like AI-generated scenes of still images, uh, so they aren't showing actual people giving and receiving a foot washing, but they're more like photos of pretend scenarios. And these make-believe scenes have backgrounds that communicate about the the scenario as well. And the opening image is of a traditional suburban household and kind of a throwback look to the Leave it to Beaver era. That's kind of what the, the, the house and household sort of has the, the vibe of. It's a white family, and the mother is wearing a skirt and a sweater, and she appears to be bringing food to the table, a very traditional role. It, it could be a holiday scene. I do see that there's a little piece of kind of garland underneath the back window. And then the daughter is also in the background. She also appears to be in a dress, normal long hair, and is just a figure that rounds out the background of the scene. That's a family. And in the foreground, the father is sitting in a dining room chair wearing slacks, a Mr. Rogers-style sweater, glasses, and conservatively styled salt and pepper hair. And really, it's a picture of a traditional conservative family. That's the image that that they want to be giving to you. And then there's a young man on the floor, T-shirt, jeans, bleached blonde hair, and a tattoo poking out from under his sleeve, and he's kneeling down and washing the foot of his father in a basin of water. He also has his shoes off, and that's going to be a common theme throughout. Um, both the one receiving and giving the foot washing have their shoes off and their and their barefoot, and perhaps trying to give the impression that he's going to get his feet washed next, or he may have already been on the receiving end. There's a lot of, I think, plausible deniability <laughs> built into this uh, because these are still images. And, uh, but this is the, the, first, the first scene that's given. A conservative family 
and uh, a, a son that doesn't fit in with that family is doing the foot washing. And um, actually, that's probably the best um, the best scene. It doesn't fit the rest of the narrative and the, the agenda to me quite as well. So um, anyway, that's the opening scene. The next scene, so these, these different scenes, they flash on the screen for just a moment, and then within a couple of seconds, uh, it flips to another image with a whole another setting and a whole another background. And so that second scene is a dark alley at night, trash all around, a police car with its blue, red and blue lights on in the background. And the focal point of the scene is a Hispanic police officer on his knees, also with his shoes off, pouring a bottle of water on the barefoot of a young black man who is standing over him. In the in the prior scene, again, the son is looking up at, the, at his father. In this scene, the cop is looking down at the ground, at the, at the work that he's doing, and the young man is looking down at the cop. I find that just sort of an interesting way that it's, it's showing. He's looking down at the cop, not at the foot washing taking place. And again, I'm just trying to describe the scene to you. And so we're nine seconds in. It flips then to another scene. It's a high school hallway with teens standing around and some lockers, a school trophy case in the middle of the background. And in the foreground, you have two white girls, both with their shoes off. The one doing the foot washing is a girl with long, light brown hair, a sweater, and a skirt, pouring water from a water bottle on the feet of the girl next to her. And the recipient of the foot washing is a teen with a short boys-style cut, dyed bright red. She is she has black painted fingernails, dressed in tight plaid pants, sitting on a skateboard, uh, her ugly black boots sitting next to her. And both of them are looking at the process of what's happening with the feet. So they're both focused on the feet as, as their, their gaze is, is pointed at. And then we move to the next image. It's out in the desert. It's twilight. My wife's favorite trees, the Joshua trees, are in the background. And I'm just kidding about that. She hates Joshua trees. But two older men, gray-haired, looking like they could be in their 60s. One's a cowboy-looking guy, and the other is, well, you guessed it, it's an Indian. And so we get it, right? A cowboy and an Indian both have their boots off, but the cowboy is the one doing the washing of the Indian's feet in a metal basin. Now, the next one is fun. We have an outdoor scene in front of a building, and the sign on the building says Family Planning Clinic. We all know what that's supposed to actually say. It's supposed to say Planned Parenthood, but they're, uh, they're being uh, business neutral, apparently. And there's a security camera on the side of the building, and next to the building is a group of people who are standing around. They're holding protest signs, so you can't really make out any of the messages. Uh, clearly, they, these would be the protesters of the clinic. Uh, pro-life signs in their hands, and they're just standing there. Their signs, interestingly, are all held down at their sides. They're not, they don't seem to be shouting or communicating or actually protesting. They're just kind of standing around as bystanders, but they're holding on to signs. They're not doing anything. The scene in the foreground, then, is a young girl sitting on a bench, perhaps a teenager. Looks like a regular girl next door, long brown hair, brown overalls. She has a tattoo on her leg poking out from under her pant leg. A middle-aged woman is then on her knees washing the girl's feet in a little basin. It moves to the next image. It's an older style, 1980s maybe kitchen, cluttered with empty bottles of alcohol all around. And sitting on the floor are two women, an older woman whose home it appears that it is, 
wearing a babe, uh, excuse me, a bathrobe, and uh, and has her eyes closed with a bit of a distressed look on her face. And again, this isn't a, an actress or a real person. This is an AI-generated person. Someone told the the computer to make this image. Okay, so the other woman is a redhead younger woman kneeling next to her with their foreheads. The two ladies have their foreheads pressed together, washing the feet of what is apparent as an alcoholic woman. Okay, so we have still a little ways to go, uh, but I want to describe each scene to you in detail. Each scene only in in front of you is only in front of you for about four to five seconds at most. And so there's a a lot to take in and, and in the process before going to a new image. So we're not even halfway done. The next scene is another desert scene. And it's oil rigs that are scattered in the background. And in the foreground is a middle-aged white guy, clearly as the oil company worker. He is kneeling at the feet of a young woman. She's seated on an old rusty oil barrel that's tipped on its side. She's dressed in a kind of, I would just, best way I could describe it, a more of a hippie style, long skirt, shoulder wrap. She's uh, leaning um, or she's not leaning. She's sitting on the on the barrel, but leaning against the tumbleweed next to her is a protest sign that can clearly be read, and it says, Clean Air Now. So what we have here is an oil worker and a climate justice protester, and the oil worker is using his hard hat, and it's filled with water, and he's pouring water from his hard hat onto the woman's foot. The next scene took a minute for me to process, even though when the ad runs, you just, again, have a few seconds to make it out. You're kind of really being moved from just scene to scene that are very different. Uh, there's there's cultural and political implications that are meant to be grabbed quickly in these different scenes. But again, I've paused these and have kind of broken down the image in more detail. And in this next scene, we have um, a street scene uh, of a suburban neighborhood at dusk. In the background, you have a subdivision of homes lining the street. The street light is on, and just beyond the foreground is a Greyhound-type bus. There's a placard in the window that says Chicago, and the door is open. Passengers are getting off the bus, and they're standing near the curb with some of their belongings. In front of the bus, you have a Hispanic woman. Looks like she's holding a baby. And maybe, it's, it's a little bit hard to tell, but her arms are crossed appears like she's holding something, kind of like someone would be holding a baby, but the image is really poorly. You're not really meant to make out the baby as much, but there's it's this woman, and she, the way she's holding her arms, it would seem to me that she's holding a baby. She's got dirty-looking sweatpants on. Uh, she's standing, kneeling at her feet as a white suburban middle-aged um, woman, middle-class woman also. She's um, holding up the woman's foot, and she's squeezing a soaked rag on the foot of the apparent migrant woman. This would appear to me to be one of those Florida or Texas buses that the governors of those states sent to blue sanctuary cities filled with illegal immigrants. So that would appear to be the situation. We've got we've got illegal aliens that have been bussed to Chicago in a suburb, and it's, it's nighttime, but they're getting off the bus in a somewhat kind of looking perhaps homeless situation because they're not... They're not being dropped off to live in a home. They're just being dropped off. And uh, this um, this other woman is receiving this migrant lady, and she is washing her feet. Okay, just about halfway through the 
commercial. Hopefully, I'm not boring you. I just want to describe the details to you, and then we'll address the whole thing. Um, so hang in there with me. We come down to a scene in front of a house in a front yard. A Muslim woman is, woman is sitting on a lawn chair. Uh, you can tell she's a Muslim by her hijab, and, and a young Middle Eastern-looking man is standing right behind her looking at the situation. Again, a middle-aged woman in a dress is kneeling down and washing the feet of the Muslim woman. And behind her is a middle-aged white guy, uh, flannel, jeans, ball cap, sitting on a stool, holding an apple that he's been eating. Uh, just a, a neighborhood scene, but the, the emphasis is on the uh, woman, uh, perhaps a next-door neighbor, washing the feet of her Muslim, Muslim neighbor. Next, we have a bit of a mob scene. It looks like a mob of diverse, yelling men on the left of the screen with their bullhorns and a sign that says, no censorship. They're facing a group of diverse women facing them and yelling also with their own bullhorn and signs that read, shut him up and silence hate. And in the middle of these two groups, so you've got these two groups facing each other, They've got their faces are all yelling at each other. And in the middle of the, these two groups, the men are on the left, the women are on the right, and down on the ground in between them are two women. So this is why it's a little bit odd. I think it's a, it's a strange... I don't think everything is meant to be consistent or, uh, or able to be, to be discerned as to what exactly the circumstance is or what they're meaning by it. Um, Probably a bit of the confusion and the inability to nail everything down perfectly is probably a large part of the point. Um, but these, so these two women, again, the two sides are men and women, but the two women are somehow sort of reconciling by the way they're serving each other by washing feet, whatever. Um, a young woman of some minority background is having her foot washed with a rag by a young black woman. And again, both of them have their shoes off. The next scene is on the porch of an old wooden southern diner. Sitting on this porch are two old men, both in wooden rocking chairs, appearing to be sharing a beer together. Uh, one man is a black man with white hair, a sweater vest, and brown pants with the legs rolled up to just under the knees, so so that he's barefoot into uh, his bare feet are into a uh, into a basin. The second man is an older white guy with a goatee, wearing overalls that are also rolled up just below the knee, and a hound dog laying next to him. Nobody is washing anybody's feet here, but both of them have one of their uh, feet in this metal basin as they look at each other. And the black gentleman appears to be communicating to the white guy with his hand reached out, touching the other man on the forearm. Now the last scene, it's at the beach. It's just the ocean and a beach in the background. In the foreground is an obviously gay black guy sitting on a bench. Uh, he's wearing a beanie, short overalls, and very smooth-looking legs, sitting in a feminine style, his 80s-style roller skates to the side behind him. And on his knees is a white guy dressed in black, but he has a cross hanging down, way down on, on his neck, or from his neck, and, and you can barely make out. Uh, also, there's a you can tell there's a clerical collar there. And so this is a priest, um, he's washing this man's feet by pouring a bottle of water over his outstretched foot. In the last 15 seconds, you then have the message. So words flash on the screen. Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. Then it says he gets us 
all of us, and then just Jesus. And then the advertisement, he gets us.com slash love your neighbor. Now, I also watched an interview um, right after, I think it was just after the, the next day following the Super Bowl. I watched an interview with a couple of guys from Talbot School of Theology. And I think this is one of the reasons why I want to continue to bring this up to you because I think I'm able to provide some perspective I haven't heard elsewhere online because everybody's just reacting to the commercial, but I actually was able to listen to an interview where the commercial was being discussed relative to a person that had has involvement with He Gets Us. Because otherwise, they seem to be fairly anonymous. They're not doing, they're not talking about themselves. They're not talking about their campaign. The campaign is just standing for itself. No one is out there representing it, representing their Christian views, except for this particular guy. And in this podcast, they were interviewing their dean. He's the dean of the Talbot School of Theology. He is the boss of the of the men who are doing the podcast. So they work for him. And this guy's name is Ed Stetzer. And he holds a pretty important position at, again, one of the well-known seminaries that has been known for being a sound conservative seminary in the past. Uh, It certainly has been compromised and I think problematic for a long time. But uh, this has a a history and a reputation for being a, a a main, it's more mainstream now, mainstream evangelical seminary, but it was more conservative as a, for instance, that's where John MacArthur went to seminary. A lot of the old guard at Master Seminary, many of them were former professors at Talbot. And I also recognized Ed Stetzer's name because he is known as a missiologist, and he was the author of a book that I read in my church planting class in seminary titled Planting Missional Churches. Uh, I can look over in my office at my bookshelf, and there's Ed Stetzer's book, Planting Missional Churches. And I had problems with it back then, and I've, I've known that this guy is not a great conservative guy at all. And it turns out, and not surprised, surprising to me, Ed Stetzer is a consultant for the He Gets Us campaign. And so these guys are professors at Talbot, and they have, they're interviewing their boss, and they are questioning him on some of the content and the messaging and the motivations of this ad. And this podcast was actually recorded prior to the ad coming out on, at the Super Bowl, but they knew it was, of course, coming out, and they are interviewing him about this ad campaign. And, and Stetzer took the air out of the criticism that was, uh, again, these guys were a little bit more conservative, I think, than their boss, and they are recognizing that this campaign is not one that uh, really represents faithful Christianity. It doesn't have much of a message of gospel faithfulness or anything like that. And so they're kind of asking some relatively decent questions and identifying, recognizing that this campaign has had criticism in the past, and um, perhaps this gentleman can give them some answers as to what's going on and how to think of it and how to think of that campaign. So that's the purpose of this podcast. And he um, he really took the air out of the criticism by simply saying that these ads are not evangelism. I don't, don't get any idea here that we want to uh, evangelize the world and we want people to be saved as a result of watching these ads. 
He says they are not meant to give the gospel or to introduce people to the biblical Jesus. That's not even what they're trying to do. These ads, he says, are pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism. Have you ever heard of that before? You know, that biblical category of pre-evangelism. Uh, so in, in essence, any criticism of the messaging then, any concerns about accuracy or concerns about misrepresentation of Jesus or the gospel, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. We weren't trying to do that anyway. Of course, they are flashing Jesus' name on the screen. They are uh, saying he, and that's supposed to be referring, that pronoun is supposed to refer to Jesus is the he who gets us. But he's wanting to say, no, 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 this is not evangelism. Uh, This isn't about representing Jesus uh, from the scripture. This is is pre-evangelism. So, you can't really have any valid criticism of us because we're not trying to evangelize here. And so that's that's a key element. A key thing to understand um, is what they claim that they are doing and what they claim that they're not doing. So their goal is to be a conversation starter. This is to get people to the website where they can find a Bible reading plan and they can be introduced to the person of Jesus and the Gospels. And mark this, this ties into our last podcast as well, where we spoke about Alistair Begg. Ed Stetzer said, quote, to help people consider who Jesus is by, drumroll please, building a bridge across which they will travel. If you recall, I brought up the point of Alistair Begg's phrase that he used about giving advice to a grandmother going to a grandchild's trans wedding, that he thought she should build a bridge to get to her granddaughter's heart. And lo and behold, that's the same type of language, the exact same phrase that Ed Stetzer used. And and so this is a a campaign that is a bridge-building campaign known as pre-evangelism, conversation starter. And I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I just want you to see a little bit of what's happening here. Ed Stetzer would would, would be claiming that he's happy for this podcast to be happening in essence uh, because we're, we're, we're getting Jesus to be talked about. It's sort of like any publicity is good publicity if we're getting Jesus into the public conversation. And he's not, he's not worried about what is said or who is saying it. Uh, it's, even if it makes some people mad, that's okay because if they if it gets them to talk about who the real Jesus is then haha we got you you are actually fulfilling what our ad campaign was meant to do all along we're just wanting people to talk about Jesus that's all we want to do and so um that's that's the the angle that Ed Stetzer is trying to take and he's saying it's bridge building pre-evangelism and this is the same philosophy of Andy Stanley and their connection with an organization that I believe came out of their church. I don't know for sure if, it, if its origin was in the church, but it, the ministry uh, is has definitely been connected with Andy Stanley's North Point Church. Um, but if not, again, I believe they've had conferences at their church, and it's, uh, it's from an organization called Embracing the Journey, 
and the conference is called Unconditional. I want you to listen to their website. Quote, Building bridges between LGBTQ plus individuals, their families, and the church. Okay? Everybody was wanting to be building bridges uh, by means of this type of campaign, this type of conversation. And so that's the big, um, that's the big goal. Now, before we analyze the ad itself, you, you need to know that one of the chief consultants since the beginning of this campaign has been Ed Stetzer. Yeah, this, he's, not a, he's not a fringe guy. He's not necessarily on the board or, or uh, a paid, oh, I'm sure he's a paid person. He's a consultant. And he, Ed Stetzer says about this campaign, he's, he's an expert on the church and planting churches and being on mission. That's his claim to fame. That's what people want him to be about. He is a he's the new version of a church growth guru. Uh, it is he's supposed to be the one that is all up to date on what it means to be missional and planting churches and missions and declaring the gospel and so forth. He received advanced degrees from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and was one of their darlings and rising stars for many years. This guy is one of the faces of evangelicalism's leadership, and he says it in this campaign, again, it's a bridge-building effort to get people to be curious about Jesus to then be introduced to him and the gospel. But then you go to the website. They have articles. Uh, they have the same commercials that you can watch that got you to the site in the first place, and no scripture. There is no scripture on the site, no references to scripture. He mentioned a Bible reading plan. So Ed Stetzer in this interview, he was referring over, we just want to get him to the site, and there at the site you can sign up for one of our Bible reading plans, and then you can really find out about Jesus, who Jesus really is. So like, don't, don't get all upset. Don't get all worried about how these commercials represent Christianity and represent Christ. Don't worry about it. That's not what it's meant to, to do. It's meant to get you to the website where then you can get a Bible reading plan, and then you can get the real Jesus. And he's not really arguing for bait and switch, but he is arguing for a method that is getting you supposedly to the Bible. And the only way to do that, though, is to is to engage the signing up process, which I wasn't willing to do. Uh, and that's apparently where you're going to get this, because I searched for these Bible reading plans that he spoke about. You cannot find them, so it's going to be an email. And I, I just have my suspicions about it. Um, I suspect, based on the rest of the website, all of the articles, none of them refer to Scripture, Scripture references. I mean, there's allusions to different things, but but um, really there's there's nothing at all biblical. And they're all the same type of leftist um, narratives and, and playbook. I'll get into that in just a little bit also. Uh, but the, I just presume that this version of Jesus, based upon their advertising, is going to be a cherry-picked uh, list of Bible verses If it's in this Bible reading program. It's not about reading through your Bible in a year program. That's not what they're giving people. They're going to be giving people select passages of Scripture. I don't know if they're going to give them commentary, but I, I, I think what they're talking about is uh, passages that are going to continue to highlight Jesus 
in scenarios and situations where he's healing, where he's loving, uh, and I, I don't have any faith that they're going to give a real gospel presentation or the full picture of Jesus in a reading of the gospels, as it were. I, I don't have any faith in that, but I don't. I didn't go through the whole process. I'm giving you an opinion and what I believe about what they're trying to present. Um, so on their website, uh, they have an article about their agenda. They, they want to tell you what they're trying to do. And I want you to listen to these two paragraphs. Quote, how did we get here? And what might we learn from the example of Jesus to help move beyond the animosity we feel for one another? How can we rediscover the life and teachings of Jesus, the world's most radical love activist? That is our agenda at He Gets Us, to move beyond the mess of our current cultural moment to a place where all of us are invited to rediscover the love story of Jesus. Christians, non-Christians, and everybody in between, all of us. I don't know how you get between Christians and non-Christians, by the way. Those are really the only two categories. So um, anyway, they've got a, category, a third category, and everybody in between, all of us. Okay, that's the end of that quote. So he gets us is a diverse uh, a diverse group. Oh, this is the next quote. I didn't put the starting quotes on here, so I will adjust that. Quote, here's the second paragraph. He gets us is a diverse group of Jesus followers with a wide variety of faith journeys and lived experiences. Our work represents the input from Christians who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as well as many others who, though not Christians, share a deep admiration for the man that Jesus was. And we are deeply inspired and curious to explore his story. We look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. That's what I mean by, I don't think that this Bible reading program is going to be getting you uh, the Jesus that turned over the tables uh, at the temple. I I don't think you're going to get the Jesus who called the... Pharisees, uh, broods of vipers, and uh, whitewashed tombs. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that version of Jesus is going to be represented. Um, and, and so, really, this is there is no reason to have any good faith in this. And that's where Ed Stetzer. Um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But Ed Stetzer ought to know way better, and everyone else ought to know way better about Ed Stetzer. All right, let's consider let's uh, let's consider what is happening here in this commercial. All those scenes I described really depicts the stereotypes of culture from a particular angle, by the way, and the clashes of differing experiences and worldviews. And the song in the background, one of the lines of the song references um, two worlds colliding. That's what they're wanting to represent in these particular vignettes, these, these different images that scroll through. And it projects, in my view, a kind of uh, Rodney King theology. Do you know, know what Rodney King theology is? I know my dad does, but uh, many of you may not know what I mean by Rodney King theology. If you don't remember the L.A. riots after the police beating of a black man named Rodney King, this was back in the 90s, uh, a trucker by the name of Reginald Denny uh, was just driving through L.A., and he's uh, was dragged from his big rig truck, by four black guys who targeted him, literally, 
because he was white, and they severely beat the man. Again, this was during riots in L.A. This was all videotaped from a news helicopter, and Rodney King, the original kind of subject of the riots, he came out to a press conference and said, can't we all just get along? That's Rodney King theology. Let's just lay down our differences and let's just get along. And this ad campaign is about hashtag inclusion. It is about hashtag love. These are the hashtags on their website. And I refuse to sign up for their content, like I said. But based upon what they're saying, uh, you're not going to get any realistic view and image of who Jesus actually is. Again, you're wanting to get the inclusive version of Jesus, the version of Jesus, his story of love. And uh, and it's told going to be told in a very modern way and in very contemporary contextualization. By the way, contemporary or contextualization, that is uh, a favorite word of Ed Stetzer. That's one of the problems of that era where he was really cutting his teeth on missiology and the the fad of the missional church, which is embedded in a lot of evangelicalism today. And it's this idea of contextualization. And uh, won't get into all of that now, but that's what a lot of this is about. And uh, this campaign is, I believe, contrary to what Ed Stetzer is going to say, this is supposed to be for conservative American evangelicals. Um, This is a campaign of the ends justify the means. If, according to Ed Stetzer, really, this is the type of thing where if only one person comes to Christ through this, then really, who cares what we did? Who cares how we said it, how we portrayed it? If this gets the pre-evangelism stuff going, if this gets the conversation started, going toward talking about who Jesus is, then we've done our job. This is money well spent. Uh, These are wizards of smart seeking to manipulate the cultural conversation to get it turned towards Jesus, whatever that even means. And I I want you to consider the truth, and, and that is that this is a leftist campaign to dilute, dissolve, and to eclipse genuine Christianity with a progressive version of it. You already heard it in the description of the campaign, the cop kneeling to wash the black man's feet. If you're going to really be countercultural, why wouldn't you flip that around? Because they would catch a whole kind of different heat. It probably wouldn't even be allowed to be aired at the Super Bowl, right? The the cultural police wouldn't allow that. And by the way, that's an important thing to to note. Uh, If, let's say our church had... $10 $10 million, and we wanted to spend it on a Super Bowl ad, advertising our church or advertising the gospel. Just Let's just do a commercial where we just declare the gospel. Uh, it's not just about having the money to be able to do an ad, and they'll just take, if you've got the money, they'll place the ad. That's not true. The Super Bowl has a particular standard relative to religion, and Somehow, this particular campaign makes uh, is is allowed, and another campaign regarding Christ, the gospel, the church would not be allowed. Doesn't matter how much money you have, the message would be uh, forbidden. And so, what you have is 
a, a, a purposeful attempt to be a campaign that is able to get around the the filters of those in charge of the NFL and the Super Bowl and the particular uh, media that carries it and that broadcasts it. It's it's going to try to get around that, and um, and so they the version that they give is going to be acceptable to that particular mainstream, if you call it mainstream, or that that particular version uh, of um, of sport and NFL. And so they are intentionally putting things in a particular way that corresponds with the acceptable narrative in our culture. And so again, the cop is kneeling at the black man's feet. The heterosexual girl is washing the lesbian red-haired girl's feet. The cowboy is washing the Indian's feet, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever be able to put that in, in reverse. So it's not really being honest uh, if, it's, if it was meant to be honest. The woman washing the feet of the girl who is there to get an abortion. The oil worker washing the feet of the climate justice protester. It's all that, that stereotypical modern narrative that it's acceptable is what the image you have in the ad. And in all of these scenes, they depict the leftist narrative that the one who needs to stoop down and kneel is the person in the ordinary American conservative side of things. And really, if you look at it from the social justice era, right, the ones who are kneeling are the oppressors. Again, except for that, maybe that first scene um, where you have a, a, a son who is, for lack of a better term, on the rebellious side to the conservative. He's, he's not the conservative in the family, let's just put it that way. And he's the one that's actually washing his father's feet. Um, that, that would actually be the exception uh, to the rest of the rule. Uh, but ultimately what you have here um, is you have the oppressor bowing before the oppressed to wash their feet, right? That's the person that needs to do the stooping down and the kneeling. And we saw, of course, during uh, 2020 and the issues with the riots and a lot of different things at that time where even civil government officials, mayors and police officers, what, what did we see there in that time? We saw people bowing before uh, black people, especially in that time during the Black Lives Matter emphasis. And, and the whites had to bow and truly kneel before uh, before the minority, right? The oppressor need to, needed to bow before the oppressed. And that's the image, imagery that is meant to be had here as well. And they maintain, again, plausible deniability in these images. Why? Because they show both people have their shoes off. And it's a still image. You're only given a couple of seconds, but both people have their shoes off. So, you know, we're not, we can't be accused of bias or, or, um, any guilt in this particular thing because you know you could project this imaginary scene anyway to be reversed. So, you know, you conservatives sit down, don't don't get all upset. This isn't what it seems to be. And I think that's just a misdirection. Um we're not we're not so naive as as to not see what they are doing. And so this is an intersectional ad that promotes the idea that Christ likeness is the love and humility to stoop down and wash the feet of the leftists, those who we supposedly despise and who we deem as sinners, right? We we apparently hate these people, and so we need to be those who are... You're, you're supposed to see yourself, right? You're supposed to see yourself and your neighbor and your community, uh, average American, middle class, you know, white suburban, positions of authority, whatever you're looking at. Uh, 
you're supposed to be see yourself and see your people and your community as the haters who need to lay aside the hate and actually uh, bow before these these people, right? So that's the imagery that's being given. And the message is that Jesus would receive them and wash their feet because he loves everyone, listen, unconditionally. I had seen one of their ads before that promoted that idea. It's the same thing with that bridge building with the LGBTQ plus XYZ, everything else, community in the church. Jesus loves you just the way you are. Jesus loves you unconditionally. That's the message, by the way, that was taught in evangelical churches when I was growing up. This campaign has taken what evangelicals largely believe already, and that is still taught in many mainstream evangelical-type churches. Now, Jesus loves us unconditionally, and that's what love is by definition. And now it is being used as a leftist branding and message and cudgel to get you to bow the knee and abandon your conservatism, abandon your political ideology, and just embrace the unconditional love of Jesus. Don't oppose anyone on the basis of ideology or principle. Just love them by kneeling at their feet and serving them. Don't don't oppose them. Uh, Don't get in their way. Just love them. Kneel before them and serve them. Jesus then is supposedly seen as loving everyone the same, and we all need to embrace him and put aside our differences and wash the feet of those we oppose. That is the messaging in these ads. Pre-evangelism, so-called, assuming the leftist narratives, and yet somehow a gay guy is supposed to be curious about Jesus because an AI-generated image of a priest washing a homo's feet is going to make him rethink Jesus? Like, you got to be kidding me, guys. This isn't about eventually getting to evangelism at all. There is no true gospel behind any of this. And I'll say it again, the people at Talbot should see through this clown that is Ed Stetzer. And they should can his sorry keister, right? They should kick him out, fire him. He is a fraud. And he is hitting for the other team. He can... He can tell you that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute and rose from the dead. He wanted to make sure that you heard that in this podcast. But he is a Russell Moore. He is an Andy Stanley type. And this campaign is targeting Christians. It is targeting the naive. And it is promoting a false Jesus. He can claim this is pre-evangelism until he's blue in the face. Jesus also The Jesus who loves everyone and who died for everyone. No, Jesus does not love everyone the same, everyone. He died for the elect. Theology has consequences. There is no such thing as unconditional love as it is imagined, as, it has, as being unconditional acceptance. When you hear unconditional love, when you hear that phrase, please know that they are meaning unconditional acceptance. That's what it means. And biblically speaking, there is no such thing as that. There is no such thing as unconditional acceptance. Never has been. It doesn't exist in the world. If by unconditional love, you mean unconditional election, then yes. If you mean by unconditional love that I am committed to care for another person and want their best according to God's standard of holy love, and I cannot accept their sin, then yes, we love that way. 
if that's what you mean by unconditional love. But you have to define that that way. Because normally, ordinarily, the definition of unconditional love is unconditional acceptance. And so God's love is shown especially as unconditional in election. But most of the people that want to talk about unconditional love deny, un- deny election, and they deny unconditional election. If you do not repent and believe, you are not loved through God's unconditional election. Entrance into the kingdom of God is conditioned upon repenting from your sin and believing in the Jesus of the Bible, who died and rose again, and calls us then to take up our cross and follow him. He calls us to then live by his law. Nobody is loved by God who rejects Jesus, who refuses to obey him, and who lives for themselves. Somebody once said, nobody enters the kingdom of heaven kicking and screaming. Well, what that means is God doesn't love us in spite of our hatred for Jesus. His love for us is shown by his transforming us within, changing us, and giving us a new heart so that we meet the condition of faith and love of Jesus. And so when you read the Bible, you find God has many conditions also for receiving his favor, his blessing, and his love. And by the amazing grace of God, his spirit works in us to meet the conditions of his love. But these these types of imaginations from people come from a hardcore Arminian attempt to manipulate the decisions and the affections of lost people. It is not about the truth, and it is not about the work of the Spirit of God uh, that changes the heart wherein the sinful man we recognize from Scripture cannot comprehend the things of God. And so these guys are like, well, yeah, we, he doesn't comprehend the things of God, but we can actually convince him it, through sort of this backdoor means. And this is, this is a problem. This is why theology has practical consequences in many ways. Well, let's turn to the theme of the ad. Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. That's the ending message after you see all of these different scenes. That's what they want to uh, have you read. And that reference to foot washing is from John chapter 13. So let's take a look at John chapter 13 for a minute. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. What a phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which, with which he was girded. So first off, the scene here is the Last Supper. It is the Passover feast. Jesus is about to go to the cross. Uh, Jesus and the disciples have entered the place known as the Upper Room where they will celebrate together. And in verse 1, the hour of Jesus' death had come. He would soon depart this world, and he would return to the Father. And it says, having loved his own. Who were his own? Well, this is a reference to his disciples. These are all fellow Jews. These are his uh, kinsmen in terms of the people of his nation. These are not 
by the way, illegal aliens or anything else. These are his own and his own in terms of his chosen disciples. And it says he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. Verse 2 indicates that the supper was already in progress, that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray him, and so it's setting the scene. Jesus got up from the meal with his disciples, took a towel, poured water in a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet. Again, these are Christ's followers. They are the ones he chose and who he loved. With, of course, Judas being accepted, but he is among them. We'll get to the Judas here in a minute. And it was a significant object lesson that some believe to be the third sacrament. That's incorrect. But it went to show by way of an object lesson the way Jesus' disciples are to be selfless servants of their brethren. Peter began to understand it when Jesus got uh, got to him, and, and I think there was a serious sense of guilt to be shared around the room as they realized that none of them had humbled themselves earlier to serve the others. Nobody stooped to the lowest position to wash the feet of Jesus or anyone else. But here, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and Judas was among them still. He did wash the feet of his enemy, and he knew who it was that would betray him. And so Jesus did this knowingly. However, it does, not, it does actually need to be noted that these were all professing believers and friends together. Judas at this time is professing allegiance to Christ. He is following him. And he's in a position where no one suspected him of being the betrayer. So he, he is behaving a particular way. He is identified with a particular group. He has expressed allegiance to Christ. So this was not Jesus washing the feet of outsiders. Jesus isn't washing the feet of Caiaphas. He's not washing the feet of Herod. Uh, he's not washing the feet of the high priest, all who rejected him. Earlier, it was a prostitute who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and costly perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And that would have been an interesting one, huh? How about having a scene where a prostitute is washing the feet of a white man? Would that have, why, why wouldn't that be a scene in the He Gets Us campaign? Uh, well, the problem is, is it presents the wrong intersectional and social justice paradigm. That's why. But that's actually a scene uh, also of the situation of foot washing in the New Testament. She was a repentant sinner and serving him and humble before him. This is not a lesson in accepting an unrepentant lesbian and stooping to wash her feet. This is not a lesson in accepting the young black thug and not arresting him for a crime, but washing his feet instead. This is not a lesson in opening the border and welcoming the illegal immigrant and washing their feet. This is a lesson about washing the feet of those who receive Christ by faith. Judas had his feet washed as one who professed Christ among the disciples. Yes, Jesus washed the feet of his enemy, but it was while he professed friendship, and Jesus knew what was in his heart, but he was numbered among the twelve at that time. And the image that we are given by the bridge builders is that we are to stoop and kneel and bow before the lost and rebellious in, listen, in their unrepentant state in order to win them. This is, this is supposed to be some picture of an evangelistic campaign to get people curious about the real Jesus? No, the images are we are to just love everyone 
in their unrepentant sin, accepting them as, as who they are and not being judgmental of them. Because that would be hateful, according to the wizards of smart of he gets us. And so listen, if a homosexual or a minority or an illegal alien comes into our assembly and repents and receives Jesus, none of us are above them. We are to gladly receive them and we are to serve them and we are to serve each other. And we should, like Jesus taught, be willing to be the slave of one another and humble ourselves before them. Verse 16, the slave is not greater than his master. And so there's, there's many ways for us to consider this, but the emphasis is upon the people of God. It's an emphasis upon the reality that none of the disciples, remember how they would often argue about who would be greatest in the kingdom? They did have faults, and they did have pride, and they all wanted to be competitive and better than the next person. And so this was a lesson to them about their relationship with one another and relationship to the church, that they were to view themselves as the servants, that instead of coming into the room and no one, no one took the role of the slave to serve and wash the feet of his brother and to wash the feet of their master, Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that it was proper for one who was a leader, for the one who was uh, loving of the brethren, to take the position of humility and to stoop down and wash the feet of his brother, of his disciple, and, and to show him kindness and humility and love, and generosity. That is, that is the lesson there. And this was used, not surprisingly, out of context and without a biblical understanding to be a manipulative ad campaign. And I'm arguing it is meant for you. Don't listen to Ed Stetzer. This is for us. We are the target of these ads. And we need, to, uh, we need to recognize this. So what, one of the things that we are seeing today in our current time is we're tending to see in our culture a, a lot of people leaving liberalism behind. There is a recognition happening in our time among many that, that, that the leftists and atheistic ideologies and the policies of the left, they are destructive they're stupid, they're irrational, they're unscientific, and they're actually deadly. And many people are seeing that in the culture. Many men and young men are seeing this. And some of them are embracing more of a conservative, maybe more common sense, I'd probably say better than conservative view of the world. Many are willing to consider now the existence of God, consider the person of Christ, consider even the Bible. But the danger of this kind of campaign, uh, the He Gets Us campaign, and other messages from people like Stetzer and Begg and Stanley and others, is this generic Jesus or moderate Jesus, or the Jesus that is definitely not supportive of conservative right-wing Christians. Instead of a bold and clear biblical message of the gospel and the Jesus of Scripture, a full-fledged biblical worldview, Christianity is represented by these well-funded, controlled opposition if you will. And Christianity is, is being 
made a caricature of. And while many people, I think, are ripe for the gospel, are ripe for the truth and for a, a worldview that makes sense of everything. I actually, by the way, just listened to something uh, earlier today regarding Tucker Carlson, that Tucker Carlson, you know, a hero of the conservative political uh, uh, folks, but he, he doesn't have a worldview that is, has any coherence. He doesn't have a worldview that makes sense. He has recognized that the left is bankrupt. He's recognized the manipulations and the foolishness of, of the so-called conservative political class and the Republican Party and all this stuff. He's, he's a fairly independent thinker. He wants to ask good questions. He's recognizing that the conspiracies uh, aren't so wild and outlandish, uh, but he really doesn't know what to make sense of, how to make sense of it. And he's, he seems to be really floundering and, and doesn't really have a, a good sense of things. But anyway, the, the, the big idea there is that there's an opportunity here and the He Gets Us campaign is actually running interference and is, and is doing their part to corrupt uh, the opportunity for those who are leaving leftism and who are open to the idea of, of Christianity and who Christ is. And, uh, and they are trying to, to take the middle, and I'll get into more of that in just a minute. But I think Christianity has a real opportunity in these times to reach people whose eyes have been opened to the craziness of the world around them, the corruption of wicked powers, and they're looking for answers, and they're looking for truth. And he gets us as a version of Christianity that is thoroughly non-Christian. It's a false Jesus, a false love. And we just we actually need to be clear. That's why I think this type of podcast is still important, even though it's a little late. We need to be clear as to our opposition to and distinction from this kind of garbage. He gets us is garbage Christianity. It is corrupt missiology. It is compromised pre-evangelism. And worse than that, it is an attempt to claim the well-funded center of public discourse and opinion regarding what true Christianity is. And this is where I wanted to get to on this topic. Ed Stetzer wants to say, oh, this isn't for Christians who already know who Christ is. This isn't for you. This is for the skeptic. This is for the person who has never even thought of Christianity. This is for the person who has no idea who Jesus is. And this is to a conversation starter. You know, This is just to get the name of Jesus out there in the public, get him to our website, and then they'll, then they'll be introduced to him and connected with churches, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a PR bunch of garbage. I think what Ed Stetzer has done and what this group is doing um, is, is they are seeking to claim the center of acceptable Christianity in America. They are seeking to frame Christianity in a particular way that makes it acceptable in our country. And in so doing, real Christianity, the gospel, Conservative evangelical Christians and churches are marginalized. See, if you don't recognize that this is actually who Jesus is and what Jesus did, then you are the extremist. You are that fringe right-winger. You are that radicalized uh, MAGA evangelical conservative. You're to be feared. You are to be marginalized. Uh, you're dangerous. And because this is who Jesus is, I mean, 
the mainstream of Christians believe that Jesus taught about love, and this is what love looks like. He washed feet, which is, again, the social justice um, dynamic, power dynamic on display. And that's the frame. You are marginalized. I am marginalized. We are, are, are going to be painted in a particular way. And so we will be told that we are unacceptable. Our views are extremist. We will be labeled as Christian nationalists, which will be made to, out to be, a, it's already a, being developed. Uh, if you're going to be connected with Christian nationalism, that's going to be equal with racism and violent insurrectionists like January 6th. And we will be lumped together in order to be further marginalized, canceled, and I believe even worse down the line. Um, this is where uh, a lot of nefarious things will take place, I believe, in the future. This is setting the frame uh, and moving the Overton window into the area of acceptable discourse. Anything to the right of this is unacceptable. And so this is, I believe, a devilish campaign. This is not a campaign of the Spirit of God uh, at, at all. And so wanted to share my thoughts on that subject with you. I, I, wanted, I said at the beginning I wanted to connect a little bit to the shooting at the— um, well, now I've forgotten the name of the church in Texas, the, the Joel Osteen Enterprise, where he is the CEO of that uh, organization. So it turns out that a uh, person came and, and fired some shots. I, I, I didn't catch all the details of how many people were hit and how many people were killed, um, but there was a shooting at the church between services. And it turns out that the shooter... Um, was a male transgender. So meaning that this uh, person was born as a male and has been pretending to and acting like they are a female and taking upon them a female name. And it's all that same type. We talked about this a while back about the school shooting, the Christian school shooting in Tennessee, um, where it's very difficult sometimes to tell who you're dealing with, <laughs> who, who the person is, because they keep using the uh, the chosen name of the person where they named themselves and they gave themselves a name that doesn't correspond, a feminine name or masculine name, one that doesn't correspond with their actual gender, actual sex. And so uh, that's where it's been confusing. It sounds like this woman showed up at the church and started shooting. And then you hear the report that, no, this person was actually a man with a long criminal record who is... Um, who is faking and pretending to be a female. So that's what's going on. Well, why is that relevant? Well, in the city, a, year, a number of years ago, um, I heard, I think it was Steve Dace talked about this, and I thought this was super helpful, and I wanted to share it with you as well. A number of years ago, the first openly homosexual mayor of, a, of one of the major cities in America was elected in the city of Houston. And this mayor... Um, was celebrated by none other than Joel Osteen. Uh, I believe what I had, the, the, the story that I had heard was that Joel Osteen had blessed uh, her administration in some way. I don't know if he was there uh, at her inauguration or, or in some capacity, but Joel Osteen had come out positive and supportive of the mayor of Houston. And so here is a man and here is a, a church that has, you know, supported the LGBTQ community 
and favorable to the mayor at the time of of Houston. By the way, some Christians and conservatives banded together, and they ended up uh, ousting her in terms of uh, uh, the next election or something, and and so she got removed from office. And there was a big controversy because there was uh, a bunch of really, um, oh, what was the what was the thing? There was a an attempt to root out the. Um, I should probably leave it alone. There, I forget what exactly what it was. Something about the comments that um, that were, or oh, the sermons. It was about uh, trying to identify the sermons, um, the things that were said in sermons, and whether or not they were political in nature and, and so forth. So this this uh, ousted homosexual mayor was was trying to uh, attack and go after the the pastors and the conservatives in their community that had gotten her. Um, uh, beaten at the ballot box. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. So here we have a uh, church in support of a homosexual mayor. And my point is, is that if you have an uh, association, an affiliation, even if it's a name only with with Christ, um, you're not going to be immune from the left's attacks. This whole trying to take the middle, to be accepted and liked by the left and by the enemies of God, you're not going to be um, immune. You're not going to be one who escapes the, the, the wrath. You're not going to be one who gets away from their violence, their marginalizing. You're going to be uh, you're still going to be attacked. And so this whole business of compromise and seeking to um, to be liked by the world, uh, it, it's going to result in, in persecution for you anyway. Um, it is a fool's errand to seek that, uh, to believe that you can be liked by the world and that you will escape their hatred and their marginalization and even their violence. And so, uh, it's really a call and a reminder that we need to be uh, faithful. We need to be true to God's word. We need to not be concerned about the opinions of ungodly people. Uh, we, we need to not be seeking popularity and to manipulate people into the kingdom of God. We need to not be people who are concerned about our reputation among the world in terms of our efforts to be liked. Uh, we need to be uh, faithful to Christ, and uh, and if we receive persecution, we are we recognize that they persecuted our Lord, who came before us, as well as His prophets and His servants and His apostles. That is that is, that goes with the territory. And if you're trying to avoid persecution by being liked through compromise, uh, you're actually uh, a fool, and you can't avoid uh, what you think you can avoid. And ultimately, it's a call to just get on board with the truth of Scripture and the Lord Jesus Christ, accept His Lordship, and live in a way that honors and glorifies Him. And then through that, that's what the Spirit uses to bring about repentance, revival, and true and genuine salvation of individuals, and then likewise of nations. So I hope this was valuable. Uh, even though I am a week late in getting this to you, uh, I hope that this still remains a benefit to you. I believe the relevance does remain, and so I still wanted to get this out, and hopefully 
you were helped by it. That's all the time we have for Truth Today. Uh, Thank you for joining me, and until next time, I hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth. (laughs) 